When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. is the nothing personal word of the day for November 16th, 2021. 82 is because this show is dedicated to my father who would have turned 82 today. It's the first birthday of his that's ever happened that I've been around that he hasn't. You speak to people about how to think or how to act, what I should be doing today. Do I go visit his grave? Do I speak to my siblings, of course, his widow, my stepmother. But what I was really thinking about today is he used to love his birthdays and used to love nothing personal. And I'm sad today that since he died just six months ago or eight months ago, he obviously can't listen to the show anymore unless you believe things that I don't necessarily believe. I certainly don't get a call after every show, but his birthday used to love. And anytime there was a show on his birthday, He'd always be especially interested in the stories of the day, what was going on. Of course, you never know when it's your last birthday. Even if you think you know, you don't really ever know. I remember his last birthday and uh, when he turned 81 and he thought that uh, 82 was not a certainty, but certainly a probability. And here we are. So dad, I hope you're listening somewhere because we're still going. We're at episode 486. You know, Coca, he was so enthralled with our partnership because I told him so much about you and how opposite we are and how we work together. And he knew always about episode 500. And he really wanted to be around for that episode. But alas, he's not. Happy birthday, Dad. We still think of you, we still love you, and we still do things in your honor and carry on your legacy of tzedakah and being a mensch and doing all the things that you'd want your kids to do that would make you proud. I hope you can't see the things that we do that wouldn't make you proud. Happy birthday, Dad. Would you invite your team to a workout off season if you knew you were gonna get fined? If you knew you were breaking the rules? Is it breaking the rules if you don't know what the rules are? Hey, officer, I didn't see the speed limit. How could I, I didn't know I was speeding. I had no idea that you couldn't bring a knife through security. I, where, where would I read that? So I understand that there's certain rules that people should be expected to know. I didn't realize you couldn't murder someone. Well, that's a rule, right? That's a crime. Don't kill people. Stealing, everyone's pretty much brought up knowing 
you can't steal. Some people do steal. Some people have to steal. But you pretty much know stealing, bad. You get caught, bad. When you do something and try to hide it, it means you shouldn't be doing it. And that's actually a good lesson for everything, both in the criminal code all the way down to just being punished by your parents as a teenager. If you can't tell anyone what you're doing, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. The rule for people in public is if you don't want to read about it on the front page of the newspaper, that's what the old rule. Now it's been updated. If you don't want to read about what you're doing on Twitter, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. If you're okay reading about it and it's not going to sacrifice your freedom, eh, go ahead and do it. If you do something that you think will cost you money and you are ready to allocate that money. Alex Rodriguez is in theory, wealthy, made a lot of money as a player in business. He may have a ton of money, may not. I've learned long ago not to count other people's money. When you spend 18 years in Florida, you're surrounded by people who look like they're rich, but all of whom are in debt and poor, but they have to keep up appearances. So they're keeping up with the Joneses in a way that is unique to Florida. It's, it happens in other places too, but Florida is really a big one. So I have no idea what's in A-Rod's bank account. Never really mattered to me. And you're saying, hey, David, but he was going to buy the Marlins. Well, no, he was putting the money together to buy the Marlins. He could not buy the Marlins, just like he didn't buy the Minnesota Timberwolves. While he gets the attention for being the new owner of the Timberwolves, you know as a listener of Nothing Personal that, number one, he's a minority partner. Number two, he doesn't have controlling interests. Number three, he's got no say. Number four, there is a path to control for his partner, Mark, and number five, in order for that path to control to happen, they have to put in a lot more money and give it to the current owner, Glenn Taylor. But yesterday news came out that the Minnesota Timberwolves were fined $250,000. Let me start with the amount. There's nothing that bothered me more. That is hyperbole. It bothered me greatly when fans or the media would take a number and dismiss it as a small number because their view is you are rich. You're a baseball owner. Not talking about me, talking about the Marlins. Or talking about Jeffrey Laurie, the owner. Oh, you were fined $200,000? Ah, pocket change. It's under his pillow. Anytime I created a budget, and I did 18 of them, you don't budget for fines, you don't budget for line items that are unexpected. Now, there's always miscellaneous, there's always a little buffer in certain areas of the budget when it comes to payroll or even marketing. You have downside and upside cases when you're trying to project your revenue, when you're trying to project what revenue sharing will be. You put some padding in, in order to give the worst case scenario to the owner, Hey, worst case, at this payroll, you're going to have to put in $18 million, $10 million, whatever the number was on a particular year. But I never had a budget item for league fines. And what does it matter if someone is wealthy? I just saw a Twitter video of the head of Barstool, Dave Portnoy, who bet on the Packers 
purportedly a half a million dollars and how excited he was when he won. There's all these TikTok videos of groups of people who put all their money together and put it on one number in roulette. Does everyone have that on their feed? Because I do. And then they win and everyone jumps around like they're crisscross and it's just heaven on earth. But what you don't see is the losses, right? People celebrate the gambling wins. That they, don't, they don't focus on the losses because they are either ashamed or embarrassed or don't want to talk about them. And it's not as good a story. It's not fun to post a video when you're despondent beyond repair because you lost a bet or you made a big bet that didn't work, whether it's a casino, gambling, or whether it's in business. You don't read a lot about the companies who expand too quickly and all of a sudden are out of business because they just sort of, they disappear. So what you don't know is that the owners, while they're all wealthy, there's no doubt about that. They don't want to just give money away. That is how they are wealthy. I'm not saying they're not charitable. I'm not saying they don't pay their employees well. They don't like giving money away for no particular reason. Unless they knew in advance what the rules of engagement were, what sin they were committing, and what the price of the sin will be, because then you can do a cost-benefit analysis, right? You can say, hey, I want my team to go to Miami and have a workout and a dinner with Alex Rodriguez. I want them to be impressed with ALO and the Miami life. We are not allowed to have off-season workouts out of market, team meetings out of market. So we are likely to get fined. And I asked the commissioner in advance and he said, it's gonna be about 250K. And I said, great, I'm putting that in the budget. I'm all in 250 grand, but my team is getting something more out of it. If that's what the Timberwolves said to themselves prior to A-Rod's off-season meeting, then I've got nothing to say. But I'll bet you a dollar, Lewis, that that is not what happened at all. What happened is that the Minnesota Timberwolves were so excited, so starstruck by having A-Rod in the ownership group, and A-Rod wanted to flex the fact that he was the BSD. So he has everyone come to his house, which is in Miami, and it's nice, don't get me wrong. But what happens to that 250 grand? When A-Rod signed a deal to acquire a minority interest in the Timberwolves, a path to control type deal, something that we're gonna talk about later in the show as well. Paths to control are deals where you buy into a team with the expectation that over time, you will continue to put money into the team. And as you put money into the team, you will receive more ownership shares of that team. And as time passes and more money's put in, the amount of ownership shares will all of a sudden become a majority. And with that, there will be an obligation of the existing general partner to sell you the general partnership interest. So let me give you a quick two minute on partnerships. You heard general partners, limited partners. General partners do not necessarily own 50% of the partnership. General partners own a percentage that is called the general partnership. Sometimes the general partnership is only 1% of the entire partnership, but that is the most important 
piece of the partnership because it is the piece of the partnership that gives you control over the rest of the 99% of the partners. So if you have 100 people, all of whom own 1%, you assign 1% of the shares as a general partnership share, and one person owns that 1% general partnership share, he makes, or she or they, make the decision for the other 99 1% holders. Given certain rules and provisos, and maybe there's a board of directors, so you can put rules in your partnership, but in sports, being the control person is the big word. That means you're the one who goes to the owner's meeting and has the vote when you need 30 votes or 23 out of 30 to elect a commissioner, 23 out of 30 to have a new collective bargain agreement. Each team gets one vote. That one vote is always held by someone who is named the control person, and that control person is always the general partner of the partnership that owns the team. A-Rod is not the control person of the Minnesota Timberwolves. He's not the general partner of the Minnesota Timberwolves. He is not the majority owner of the Timberwolves. When the Timberwolves get fined $250,000, that is not A-Rod's money. The NBA goes after the general partner, Glenn Taylor, and says, we're taking 250 grand from you. We'll give it to charity, but we're taking 250 grand. And Taylor can only go back to A-Rod and ask for that 250 grand if there is a certain provision in their purchase agreement which talks about things that A-Rod can or cannot do, and if he is found to be in violation of those things, and if there is any ramification or fine or loss of draft picks or any sort of any penalty due to the actions of A-Rod, then A-Rod is responsible for those. And those are difficult provisions to put into a contract because you could say, when someone has a limited partnership and we had a ton of contract we had a ton of partnership agreements many different limited partners two different entities many different entities actually there was always a dilution clause when the team needs money if you don't put money in as limited partner you will not maintain your percentage of the team there are disparagement clauses there are rules about clubhouse access about meetings that have to take place partnership meetings during a particular year how many what kind of swag limited partners get, access to tickets. Do they have to pay for the tickets? Yes, they do. Where are the tickets going to be? Are they allowed on the road? Yes, they are. Do they have to pay for their room in the team hotel? Yes, they do. So you outline all of these things. Never once did I have in any agreement what would happen if a limited partner made an action, did an action that led to a fine. And as I think back on it, I'm... It never occurred over 18 years, so I skated through, but I really needed that because if I'm Glenn Taylor, I'm not paying 250 grand for A-Rod. No chance, toilet pants. And by the way, do people in Minnesota actually think that the Timberwolves players are impressed by going to A-Rod's house and meeting A-Rod and being around A-Rod? Do you think the Marlins players genuflect and love being around Jeter? Maybe the answer is yes, but that's not the right question. Will anyone sign a contract with the Marlins and or the Timberwolves because they're so excited to hang around A-Rod and or Jeter? Nobody. Not one player ever, never. Oh, I'd love to take $2 million less per year and two years fewer in guarantees. 
because I get to have Derek Jeter watch me take batting practice? Horse hockey. These players don't give one rat's ass. The Mets have a general manager. Hip, hip, hooray. You got it, Scott. Are you listening to the show? You can stop texting me with what I think about every name you hear that's rumored out there. Stop texting me. You have a general manager. Yes. Who? Billy Epler. The Mets went with recycled Billy Epler as their general manager. Oy vey. Stevie Cohn, you panicked. Do you know what panic looks like with a new owner who has a losing first season? Can't take the chance on getting an inexperienced GM. Listening to your fans out there. Got to go for the big guys. Theo or Billy or David. That's Stearns, not Samson. When you can't get them, you come up with plan B. Plan B is you interview a bunch of people and you say that you're interviewing minorities and women and you call on all these different teams. Then you have your president go out and say, hey, we're having a hard time filling this because not everyone can be in New York. Whatever. And then you realize there's someone named Billy Epler who used to work for the Yankees. By the way, those in the industry know very well that when Billy Epler left the Yankees to go to the Anaheim Angels, there was not a tear shed in the Bronx. But he goes to run the Angels, works with Artie Moreno for five years, gets canned because the team stinks, and then bing, bang, boom, he's back. You wonder why Kenny Williams was so upset at the GM meetings. Did you read that, Coca? Kenny Williams was, is the president of baseball operations for the Chicago White Sox, and he's African-American. And he was bemoaning the fact that there are not enough minorities and that it was all lip service, eyewash, all of the Black Lives Matter and all the stuff that baseball does. The Selig rule that you know from nothing personal is absolutely ignored and made fun of and worked around by all owners. I did the same thing, though we had a black president of baseball operations, but the Selig rule in general of interviewing minorities and giving them a chance, teams totally ignore that. Baseball changed the Selig rule this year. There's a new rule. I want to know what you think about it. If you have an opening at GM or anywhere in your upper front office and you hire a white person, you have to replace that job with a minority. I want to try to say that more clearly. When you promote a white person from within your organization, you're promoting that person from job A to job B. When that white person gets to job B, that leaves job A open. Job A, by definition, must be filled on by a minority. That's a change to the Selig rule. They're trying to make it so minority individuals don't just get interviewed and it's eyewash because that's generally what it's been over the years so i give baseball credit for trying stuff but it just hasn't worked teams tend to hire young white people there's a lot of money that's been invested michael hill my old president of baseball operations who is now a senior vp at baseball 
he is in charge of this diversity situation and he knows what he's doing. Why another team has not grabbed him to run their team, why the Mets never even called him is beyond me. Maybe Mike wouldn't have taken that job because Sandy was there. Maybe Steve Cohn wasn't comfortable hiring Mike Hill. Hmm. I wonder what the reason could be. Doesn't much matter because as a consequentialist, Billy Epler's there. So Kenny Williams was all upset about how the league is going, whether or not it's going to change. So this hire doesn't change anything, especially if what you read is true, that they hired Billy Epler to be their GM in New York for the sole reason that he's best friends with David Stearns, the president of baseball operations in Milwaukee, who then will come to New York when his contract is over with Milwaukee. Does that sound familiar? Like when Theo had Jared Porter and Zach Scott hired by the Mets and then Theo didn't end up coming to the Mets? Or Billy Epler got this job because he's so good at working with pain in the ass owners the way Artie Moreno is, meddling owners. So if you can deal with Artie Moreno, you can deal with Stevie Cohn. Steve Cohn doesn't know whether he's Artie Moreno yet. Artie Moreno didn't become Artie Moreno day one. Takes time to become meddling. Steve Cohn doesn't know what kind of owner he's going to be. Billy Epler or Retread coming to New York for the sole reason that MLB or the Mets think that he can handle both New York and what Stevie Cohn is like. Guess what none of that adds up to? A winning team for the Mets. Now, you're going to read a lot about all of Billy's accomplishments with Shohei Otani and the extension of Mike Trout and signing of Anthony Rendon. I would just like to point out the following things when we were evaluating general managers and the job they did. It doesn't take a genius to sign the best free agent or to extend at record numbers the best player. It doesn't take a genius to outbid everyone else to get the best Japanese player to ever come out of Japan since Ichiro. The genius is in signing players who outperform once you sign them. The genius is in signing players who fans don't know and the owner doesn't know and those players help you win. The Anaheim Angels didn't win anything under Billy in five years. Nothing. Now, they didn't win under their new GM either last year, Perry Manasian. Manasian? He's their new GM out there. So maybe it's just Artie. Maybe it's just the lack of good enough pitching. Yeah, that's it. But don't worry, the Angels are back at it. Rumors abound that the Anaheim Angels of Los Angeles will be going after starting pitching this offseason. I'd like you to Google back. The problem with the inter-Google and the social media web is that it's harder to recycle your public comments because unlike newspapers, which become tomorrow's toilet paper, someone could go research every single thing I said at the beginning of each season or during the offseason. And believe me, I put a lot of things on repeat because we had so many similar seasons of underperformance, lack of performance, and no October baseball. How many times have the Angels over the years said, pitching is our priority? We're going to get two starters. We're going to shore up that bullpen. We need pitching. Every year they say it. And then they sign a bunch of people who don't work out. Either they've overpaid them and they stink, or they took a flyer, took the chance, 
and they didn't make it, which means the people who chose who to take the chance on weren't good enough. So you recycle through executives the way the angels are. At some point, do you worry for your players and their mental state of being? Hmm. Interesting. I like that. Yes, you do. And that worry came to pass for the Angels yesterday when Shohei Otani, have you noticed the transitions today, Coca? Other than the awkward transition for my dad's birthday today. I think they've been outstanding, but you'll tell me after the show because I can't hear you at the moment. Otani of the Angels gave a Zoom interview. He was doing an appearance, and he said some pretty interesting things. They weren't egregious. They weren't uh, not complimentary. What is the word? Controversial. He just said that toward the end of the season last season, he got very tired, and it was very stressful, all the losing. And I started having flashbacks to dealing with the Marlins during the losing years when we lost 100 games in 2013, when we underperformed in 2000 and, was it 16? And when you're in the race through September, you actually are excited because you're playing games that matter. That is the one great stat that to me that Jeter has, the greatest stat of all. I believe in his entire career, he played one game that didn't matter which is amazing. Everybody's games matter until they're eliminated from the playoffs, right? So even if you're 30 games back with 31 to play, that game still matters. And then you're 30 games back with 30 to play, that game still matters. But when you're 30 games back with 29 to play, that game doesn't matter. So the Angels had a bunch of games, as always, that didn't matter. And Otani just said, it stunk. You know, I'm trying to pitch. I want to hit. I want to be good at both, but more importantly, I want to win. So people are now sort of panicked. And the panic is, will Otani leave? Well, I'd like to be the first or second to tell you that players leaving teams has nothing to do with winning. I promise you. They say it does, but it doesn't. Do you know how to make Otani happy? Pay the man his money. Pay him what you promised to pay him when you signed him and risk the fine from the commissioner's office. He is being paid $3.5 million this year as part of his first contract, initial contract. He's arbitration eligible again next year, and then a free agent. You can extend him right now, rip up his contract, redo it, and pay him more money. Is that what the Angels will do? Not if they're smart. When you have a player playing for you for $3 million who's worth 40, that's how you should be winning games and making the playoffs. Paying a player $40 million to give you $20 million worth of production is how you don't make the playoffs and how your team stinks and you lose money. So don't be ashamed if you're the Angels that you're getting great performance, but at least have a plan ready to go. I would speak to my players. I had so many talks with Stanton and Yelich about this who got so frust- frustrated over the losing. So frustrated. They were under long-term contracts. They wanted to win more. But they also understood that they signed those contracts, free mind, and they did it because that made the most sense to them at the time of signing. When you offer Otani what I know the Angels are going to offer him, I assure you Otani will take it 
and he will forget the fact that there's been all this losing. And what he will say at the press conference that announces his extension is, I am very comfortable with the management and with the owner that they're going to do everything possible to make sure that we are a winning team and that we have sustained winning for every year of my contract. Trust me, that's what he'll say. And his fingers and toes will be crossed the whole time because wink, wink, he actually won't care. Okay, when we come back, I want to talk about what's going on in Cleveland because there's stuff going on in Cleveland and it has nothing to do with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And we're going to review a movie that Coco will never watch, but I did because any movie that combines Love Actually and Die Hard, that's a movie I want to be a part of. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thank you so much for joining us for rating reviewing please follow and follow me on twitter and subscribe to youtube i know you've heard it before but if you haven't done it please do it it matters and tell your friends about nothing personal that's how we're growing that's how we'll continue to grow and i appreciate you and so does coca i watch a movie every day love watching movies i watched a movie called love hard i did you know me i'm a sucker for romantic comedy movies I'm a sucker when I know exactly how the movie's going to end, but there's good music and I get to feel good because I get to dream that that's how life really is. Because aren't all of life's mysteries solved in the movies? Don't the movies present a version of reality that you wish to be true and that deep inside your heart you know it's not true, yet you still wake up every day saying today's sunrise could make it true? Today may be the day. Well, for every five foot five, 125 pound guy who was five foot two in high school, made fun of, bullied, short, always called cute, never wanted to be cute. I wanted to be handsome. I wanted to be taken seriously. I didn't want to be Ducky. Didn't want to be John Cryer from Pretty in Pink. I wanted to be the quarterback. I wanted to be the bad boy who got all the hot girls. They were all my friends and that's always played by the gay character now, as I think about it, right? The one who's always best friends with all the girls and all the guys are like, how are you hanging out with the girls? How are the girls always, you're doing sleepovers with the girls, they're getting naked in front of you all the time? Are you not, you're not? Ah, you must be no threat. I guess that's that. Love Hard is about catfishing. And in this day and era of social media, be careful about the catfish. So Nina DeBrev, is that her name, Coca? 
from Vampire Diaries. Just on Conan. I think that's the name. <sighs> anyway, she's the star of the movie. And it's a combination of Love Actually and Die Hard. And she falls in love because she wants to fall in love. And there's a thousand cliches. It is so predictable. Guess what? The person she falls in love with isn't exactly the person she thought she was going to fall in love with. Oh, my God. Shocker. It's called Love Hard. It's on Netflix. I, I don't want to say I cried, but I also didn't turn it off. I heard from someone that I butchered uh, the name yesterday of Wonder Woman, and it was sent to me in Hebrew, and I read Hebrew, and in Hebrew, it's Gal Gadot. So she may pronounce her name Gal Gadot, but definitely not Gal Gadot. So I think it's Gal Gadot, but either way, I'm sorry, Gal or Gal. <laughs> Stop that. <coughs> Coca, can we send this clip out to Gal? Okay, ready? Hi. My name is David Sampson. I'm the host of the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast. And if you're free two weeks from yesterday, I would very much enjoy to learn how to pronounce your name. Please come on my show and we can parlay some Ivrit. We can even sprechen Sie a little Deutsch. We'll do anything, but I promise I will not get your name wrong. Love, David. Did that work, Coca? Have we heard from her yet? Have we heard from her? Can we call CBS and see if she may be called into CBS? All right, I got some good news for you in Cleveland. Thank God. They are so out of it in Cleveland that it makes me laugh. When we switched from Florida Marlins to Miami Marlins. Before the switch was officially announced on 11-11-11, we had all the merchandise done, all of it ready to be sold. It was shipped to stores already. It was on the web. We had cleared all the intellectual property potential disputes. I had flown to Pensacola to bribe the guy who had the Marlin store and the Marlin logo, gave him tickets to opening day and all sorts of other stuff. You know that story. We covered our bases, we dotted our T's, we crossed our I's, and we launched. Out comes Pitbull, we get the players out there modeling, everyone's happy, we've got a great, the number one selling hat at that time was the Rainbow M that none of you see anymore because it's been disappeared. However, how can a team in this day and age not have its ducks in a row? The Cleveland Indians changed their name to the Cleveland Guardians, and they forgot to mention that there's a roller derby team named the Cleveland Guardians. But when I explained to the Cleveland Indians what to do about the Cleveland Guardians, the Cleveland Indians said, don't worry, we've got it under control. The Cleveland Guardians said, you do, we're going to sue you. The Cleveland Indians said, don't worry, we have it under control. On nothing personal, I told you how it would end. It ends with money and a settlement. What's the deadline for a settlement if you had a guess, if you're the president of a team and you go to your owner and say, hey, we've got a situation here. That's okay, David. Just get it done by 11-11-11. Well, why do I have to do that, Jeffrey? Because we're selling stuff that day. Oh, all right, I'll get it done by 11-11-11. The Cleveland Indians were due to change their name to the Cleveland Guardians and start selling stuff yesterday. Did you buy any Cleveland Guardian stuff yesterday? 
No, because you couldn't. Because they weren't selling anything yesterday. You know why? They hadn't settled with the Guardians yet. What are they doing? If I'm the Cleveland Guardians roller derby team, I'm super excited right now because I caught the Cleveland Indians team and I say, hey, Paul, it's me, the president of the derby team. Do you know that you've told your fans everything's going to be A-OK -okay and that you can start selling merchandise? Hmm. How much do you think you're losing by not being able to launch when you were supposed to launch? Thoughts? Questions? Comments? Concerns? Yesterday came and went, but guess what happened when the sun came up today? The Cleveland Guardians roller derby team called the Cleveland Indians team and said, huh, how did it feel looking like such a schmendrick yesterday? And the Cleveland Indians said, you're right. We can't go through this lawsuit. We got to start selling stuff. Can we give you more money than we said? What's it going to take? Give me a number. We'll do it. We got to do it. We have to do it. I got no choice but to do it. Sorry, owner. If I'm the team president that negotiated that way, I'd lose my job, and I didn't lose it in 18 years, and it wasn't just nepotism. Well, the Cleveland Guardians announced today that they and the local roller derby team have reached a resolution. <laughs> Are you shocked by that? Hold on, let me see if the sun is still up rising. If the world is still spinning, I'm looking out the window. Yep. Ooh, it's very nice out today. Two Cleveland Guardian issues today. Word came out, not only that they can start selling stuff a day late. I wonder whether the Indians really thought that the Guardians would fold. Word came out that Paul Dolan, who is the control person of the Cleveland Indians, now Guardians, is looking to sell a large stake in the baseball team. Looking to take some money off the table. He's only three score plus three. So it's not like he's old. So what's the real story there? I'd like to explain. When you read about Cleveland selling a minority share, I want to tell you that Cleveland is owned by Larry Dolan. Larry Dolan's son is Paul Dolan. It's the Dolan family, that big Cablevision family and different tentacles of the Cablevision family. Paul Dolan is a great, great guy who I knew my whole career. He bought, they bought in at, uh, in 1999. So we started at the same time. He was president of the team when I was president of the team. And then he took over the team for his father, which I never did. And, but very, very good, decent guy. Built a very good front office, had some great, great Indians teams. Never could win the whole thing, but really nothing to be ashamed of at all. A few years ago, he brought in a partner because the team does not make money and didn't want to put in more money. So he brought in a wealthy partner to be his partner to add some capital to the team, not out of the ordinary. And his name was John Sherman. John Sherman, no relation to Bruce Sherman, the guy who bought the Marlins for $1.2 that he can't sell right now for $800 million, but that's a side note, brought in John Sherman. And John Sherman was a guy who always wanted to be a control person because in baseball, when you're a limited partner, it's extremely limiting. You don't get to do anything. It's not fun. All it is, it's good cocktail party banter. You get to say, hey, I own a baseball team. And then someone says, well, you're not George Steinbrenner. Yeah, but I, I own the Yankees. I own a part of the Yankees. Oh, that's cool. 
that's about it. That's what that's the leverage. It's not like you get free tickets, you get to hang out with Mariano Rivera or anything. So John Sherman comes in, and the thought was that when he came in to buy part of the Cleveland Indians, that he had a path to control. Similar to A-Rod in Minnesota, a path to control is when someone buys a minority stake in a team and increases that stake in a predetermined amount of time. There are rules of engagement during that period of time. What the existing owner can do, you can't trade your best player, you can't buy 10 private jets, whatever the rules are. And then at a certain time, certain, the minority partner becomes the majority partner, the control person, and the other former owner goes away. But before John Sherman could take over the Cleveland Indians, he did something different. He bought the Kansas City Royals. The Kansas City Royals were for sale by the Glass family, and John Sherman said, I'm in. Not unprecedented. John Henry was a limited partner with the Yankees when he bought the Marlins and then the Red Sox and eventually had to divest his ownership of the Yankees. So John Sherman gets approved to buy the Kansas City Royals, but you cannot own parts of two teams. Therefore, he owns part of the Cleveland Indians and the majority and is running as the control person, the Kansas City Royals. What do you do? It's the famous T-squared, the famous Trump trust. You put the assets on your left side into a trust that you don't control. It's like what Woody Johnson did with the Jets when he became the ambassador to England. He put his shares into a trust that was run by his brother, Wink Wink. In baseball, when you own a second team, there's no Wink Winking because you can't have the owner of the Royals have anything to do with the operation of the Indians. That would not be good for comp. Petition. So John Sherman's shares were put into a trust with the understanding that that trust and its shares would get liquidated and sold as quickly as possible. So what the Indians do is they undertake a process to value those shares. They come to an agreement with John Sherman, who already owns another team, and they say, hey, I bought the Royals for $1 billion. I think the Indians are worth $1.2 billion. I own 50% of the Indians. Give me $600 million. Paul Dolan says, I don't think the Indians are worth $1.2 billion because if you don't sell your share with my control share, you're only selling a limited partnership piece. I think you're only going to get $400 million. I'll give you $400 million for your 50%. John Sherman says, I'm not going to lose $200 million. We're going to get it appraised. We're going to work together to get the shares sold. Guess what? Those shares have not been sold yet. And Paul Dolan has retained an investment bank, the MLB Inside Investment Bank that everyone retains, even though they add no value, but they charge a lot of money, called Allen & Company. Allen & Company is run by Hank Greenberg's son, Steve Greenberg, who's a great guy, but I did it all on my own. It's not like you're selling a very complicated semiconductor company that you have to sort of figure out who's in that market. When you want to sell a baseball team, you stand on top of the highest mountain and you yell at the top of your lungs, hi, we're for sale. And people flock to you like bees to honey. Do bees flock to honey? Like mosquitoes to my ankles. So Paul Dolan hires Allen & Company and they put together prospectus and they put together numbers in a war room, which is an expression for where documents are, but now they're all virtual because it's all electronic. And they explain their fee that way, blah, blah, blah. But why 
does Paul Dolan think that he can get more than the $400 million for John Sherman's 50%? Because Paul Dolan is telling people, you know what? I'm willing to sell my shares too. That's a whole different ball of wax. When the control person is willing to sell control of the team, the value of the entire team goes up because control is what the ego wants, and these are ego purchases. So Paul Dolan says to John Sherman, I want to get as much as I can for your shares, and I'm going to sell my shares with your shares. We're all going to make more money, and I will give a much easier path to control with this new owner than I gave to you because you already got the Kansas City Royals. You're fine. Let's find someone else who wants to run the Indians. Hey, A-Rod, anyone have his number? So that is what is going on with the Cleveland Guardians. God, that's a lot of Cleveland coca. Nothing personal pick of the day. We are 151 and 134. We went two and one yesterday. I got the Niners just crushed the Rams. The Rams lost their first road game. Everyone said it was too good to be true. When something's too good to be true and the Rams are only giving three and a half, it means they should have been getting 20. But we had a Rosarain as the AL Rookie of the Year. We had Jonathan India as the NL Rookie of the Year. So if you bet that, you're a winner. 151 and 134. Tonight is the manager of the year for the American League and National League. Let me give you my picks on that, if you don't mind. The National League manager of the year is a runaway, unanimous, whatever you have to lay if you want to make the bet, if it, there's even a market. Wouldn't it be amazing if Mike Schilt, the fired St. Louis Cardinals manager, won? So he'd be the second fired manager to win manager of the year after our guy, G, uh, Girardi, in 06? Not going to happen. Craig Council, the other finalist with the Brewers, NGTH. The absolute winner, which will make my wait to see that San Francisco will sweep the Manager of the Year and Executive of the Year awards because Farhan already won Executive of the Year. Tonight, Gabe Kapler will win Manager of the Year. The American League's a little tougher. The Tampa Bay Rays under Kevin Cash, he could win Manager of the Year and should win Manager of the Year every year. The Seattle Mariners were a surprise. Surveys, he's a finalist. Service, Scott Service. Nope. The winner is your pennant winner, Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker took a team that by all accounts should not have been as good as they were. He held it together dealing with PR and fans. And you need a calm, cool, collective manager who's willing to take the heat from the players. Dusty Baker will win American League Manager of the Year. On the court today, I'm going to watch the Warriors play the Nets. While you were sleeping, the Warriors have become maybe the best team in basketball. And the Nets have struggled because Harden can't get to the free throw line 20 times a game because the NBA officials are calling the game differently because the rules changed. And every time he goes up for a shot, he can't kick his legs out and get three free throws, which was another way to see that we said was going to happen. And it did. The Warriors are getting two and a half from the Nets and people are going to be scared. That's not enough. The Nets are way better. No, they're not. The Warriors are a better team. The Nets have a better player, Durant, although Curry is certainly seeming like the MVP right now. So I'm taking the Warriors plus two and a half. Baker is the American League Manager of the Year. Kapler as the National League Manager of the Year. And just like that, the show's over because I got to get online and buy some Guardians merchandise right now. It's just business. This is nothing personal.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.